0: Hey everyone, welcome to a new interview episode on the Alumni Answers Podcast. Our guest today studied economics and minored in printmaking studio arts at UPenn, received an MBA from Yale School of Management, and studied abroad at Bocconi University in Milan, Italy, and this London School of Economics. She has worked with Target in developing apparel products and Duke Energy, the program developer, and has a wide variety of experience in community development and sustainability, including her organization, Collective Power. Kelly White, welcome to our podcast, and thank you so much for spending your evening with us.
1: So. Thank you. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So we wanted to start off with um, your time before you went to college. What was your motivation to major in economics and minor in printmaking studio arts at UPenn?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So I think... When I was thinking about colleges, my parents definitely told me to go to the best school that I could get into. So there was definitely an element of like, you know, the most prestigious school that I applied to. I applied to some state schools. I was in North Carolina. So I applied to UNC, which is a great school. And then through programs that I had been as a high school student, I had learned about UPenn and Wharton specifically. And I think UPenn is interesting because I feel like Wharton sometimes carries a bigger name where people won't know Mm -hmm. what University of Pennsylvania is but they recognized Wharton so I think when I got into Wharton it just felt like the best school that I got into and so that definitely was motivating in terms of going to kind of my best option but Mm -hmm. I think choosing business specifically because you know with the University of Pennsylvania you have to kind of pick which school you're applying to when you do the application so either Wharton, Engineering, the General College or Nursing I think that my interest in business was really a product of not knowing what I wanted to do yet, uh, which I think a lot of times we're forced into in that sort of college stage, like, okay, figure out your career so that you can go to the right school for that career. And it's a lot to make that decision with like no work experience. So to me, business felt like something where I could pick that now and it could look a lot of different ways in the future, right? Maybe I wanted to work in fashion. Maybe I wanted to work in finance. I had no idea, but I felt like if I chose business, it would almost kind of delay me having to make a decision for sure. And it would be more of a generalist um, degree where I could kind of decide later based on experience and trying things, what side of business I want to be in. And then I think with printmaking, you know, I always felt like a creative person and didn't have the opportunity to take a lot of art classes in high school. So I remember coming into college and being like, this is a priority of mine. I want to take creative classes and I want to study abroad. Those were two like um, goals that I set for myself. And so UPenn had like a minor program, which kind of got you started off in drawing and painting and some basics. Um, And then you could pick a specialty. And so that really was kind of like my outlet, something that was just for me. And it was important for me to have to get the minor so that I could have it like on my transcript and put it on my resume just so I had that kind of creative side to go along with the business degree that I got so that's kind of how I thought about picking that program and and picking those majors
2: yeah so in these majors and minors what were some of the most interesting courses that you got to take
1: oh that's a good question so my the way that um Wharton Business School worked is that we had concentrations. So I chose a marketing and operations concentration. Um, And one of the best classes that I took while in undergrad was actually like a very specific class for that cross concentration. And it was called product development, which funny enough, I ended up going into product development. Um, And it functioned kind of as like a competition where in the beginning we all individually like pitched an idea that we had for a product for the entire class and people voted and we kind of like got it down to maybe like 10 ideas for the class and then we formed groups around those ideas so we'd be in like a small group working all semester and we designed the product and sourced it and prototyped it and built it throughout the time kind of continuing to get feedback from the class and then at the end, we had this like product fair where we brought our product in, all these students came, you know, walked around, picked up each product, felt it, and then like voted at the end for what they thought were kind of the best and most unique products. And it was just, mm-hmm. it was a really great experience to, to get hands-on and to get feedback from people. You know, we ended up doing really well. My team, were we were working on a collapsible water bottle oh, where wow. I, I just saw an ad on TV for something that looked ve- very similar. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we had a really great prototype and I think a lot of students could relate to um, that product. So we did really well in that class and it was just a great experience overall. And I think gave me a good foundation in like what product development is and how it touches engineering and how it's rooted in like human design and getting feedback and talking to people um, and kind of really started my interest in that whole space.
2: Yeah, I can see from that how business kind of helps you tap into a, a lot of different fields and you know help yourself be more of a generalist. Um, but something else that really drew our attention was you studied abroad for a semester in Milan, Italy. And I think a lot of my peers and me were really looking forward to being able to travel, live and study in a different country once we enter college. So we wanted to ask this question on behalf of all high school students and our own curiosity. So, could you describe your experience studying abroad for a semester at Universita Bocconi in college?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, so as I said, I came into school saying, like, I want to study abroad. That's something that I'm really um, interested in and want to, and that's it's a big commitment, right? So, first and foremost, I found that when I was making the decision to go abroad both times, so both as an undergrad student when I had four years of school and as a graduate student in a two year program, you know, I got a lot of, I mean, not like pushback or judgment because it was my life and my choice, but I think other people expressed very clearly, like, oh, I couldn't, you know, leave school for a semester or FOMO or what about all the things that you're going to miss? So I do think it's important to acknowledge that you you know you have to be willing to miss out on things you can't be in two places at once and so if you really want to have this new experience it means that you're you know not getting a semester in in the community or school that you're already in and so that's something to think about um for me that wasn't a big issue at all I was I was really excited to not just be in another country but also be in a city so a big thing also that drew me to UPenn was that it was in Philly and I was, I was interested in schools that were in an urban city. I looked at Columbia because it was in New York. And so I just really wanted to be um, in a fast paced environment in an environment that was diverse and had a lot of different types of people. And so even in choosing the program at Bocconi which is in Milan, I specifically picked Milan as one of the cities in Italy that is the most diverse, that is the most busy, that does have the most um, you know diverse group of people coming in and out of the city. And I mean, the experience was amazing, as I always say, like, there are very few times where you can go to another country and have the structure and support that school offers in terms of like a community, a place to live, right? Like, I didn't have to go find my own apartment, which some people did, um, but I had to do it as a grad student, but it's an undergrad, right, that's taken care of for you. There are all these type of programs, Erasmus oh. and other things that are for you know, groups of students who are from all over and just a lot of organized activities. And I think to be in a new country, to have that level of structure and support around you, we had a, you know, I actually had to take a whole semester of Italian before being being able to qualify to do that, oh. that change, which is interesting, especially because that school, Bocconi, is actually an English and Italian school. And they... They really like participating in these abroad exchanges because they get English students to come to Italy, and so the students at Bocconi want to learn English, um, and so we could take our courses in English. I took my classes in English, but I, you know, the expectation was still to know Italian to, to get around. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great to have that but I had a I took the course and I had a summer off and then went abroad the next semester so I was a little rusty and they had like a three-week kind of prep course where you could catch up on your Italian. So just having all of that stuff there when you're in a new country is is really great Mm -hmm. and then also not having to work like when you're in school compared to like getting a new job in a new country it's just different right because you have more time you can explore you can I took a class so Bocconi is one of the best business schools in Italy, and it's also in Milan, which is the city of fashion. And so one of the courses that they're most well known for um, is, I think it's called management of fashion companies, but specifically around (laughs) fashion. And they go deep into the history of all the big fashion houses in Italy. And one of the projects that we did, we like went to um, the Duomo, which is this huge church in the center of the city that has these like amazing Fendi and Gucci, and. You know, wow. um, Balenciaga stores. And so we could, like, we each got assigned a different, um, you know, luxury label. I think we did Prada. So we go in the Prada store and we like walk around and ask some questions and like do research. And so we did this whole brand thing on Prada and got to like be in the stores in Milan. So it felt really like if you wanted to learn a fashion, if you wanted to really learn about the history of fashion and where it happens, you were in the right place and sort of had the right resources and teachers. And so, you know, it's great to, I think, you know, when you go abroad, thinking about what is unique about that school in that country that you can get there that you wouldn't be able to get in the U.S. And I think for Italy, fashion was a big part of that. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, taking advantage of being able to travel and, you know, hang out with friends and explore, you know, different different areas, um, different countries that you haven't been to before. It was definitely the icing on top of the cake.
0: Wow. So I'm curious, how did the application process to City Abroad go? Like, what did you really need in order to
1: apply? Okay, I'll for this one I'll talk about both um, both experiences, grad school and undergrad. I think in undergrad the application again part of it was understanding what are the requirements, right? So okay, if I have to take a semester of Italian, I got to plan that out and get it in my schedule. Um, being a good academic standing was a part of it, right? So I was I wasn't necessarily like a straight A 4.0, but you know, I did pretty well and, you know, was never in any um like danger of failing or not graduating. I think it, you know, if you didn't have all your credits and everything together, that makes it challenging. Uh, Cause a lot of times when you go abroad, like the number of credits that you get or the type of courses that you take can be complicated, um, where they might not have the courses that you need to satisfy requirements at your home school, so you might have to save some of your um, elective credits or some of your, you know, things that would have been fun courses at your base school to to be what you're taking when you're abroad, just so you can fit everything in. So, you know, being on top of what you need to graduate and and really planning out like all oh, your full your full um, four years of courses, so you just know that you're. You're not gonna miss anything or have to take an extra class your last semester. Though I do think I was taking like seven courses my senior spring, probably for that reason exactly. Um, And then usually there's an essay, right? So, like, why do you wanna come to this program? Um, You know, kind of sell, sell us on why we should accept you into this, especially if there are, you know, more people than they might have room for. So, a lot of times, like, these schools and spots for exchange students school so it'll also depend on how many people at your school are interested so for example when I was in graduate school and really looking to go to London um, Yale had a partnership with two schools in London so London Business School and the London School of Economics and most of the most of the students at Yale actually wanted to go to London Business School because it was modeled much more similarly to American business schools. So you have like case studies and group projects and all the things that MBAs are used to. Whereas LSE, you know, it's not really just a business school, they have politics, they have economics, they have history, they have all of these topics. Um, and it was much more integrated with the undergraduate students there. You know, when I, I ended up choosing LSE because I was kind of interested in something a little different, and I took like a gender studies course, and I took history of business course, So things that were really different than what I was doing in business school in the U.S. So we had a lot of papers and I was going to archives and doing research, like very different than I think what the London business school experience would have been or even what I was used to at Yale. Um, So really kind of trying to get an understanding for what the school is like and and how they do their courses and how it may or may not match up to what you're used to at your um, home institution is a good thing to be aware of because I know um, there were a lot of students that came to LSE that were a little disappointed right they were like this isn't as businessy as I would have wanted and maybe they weren't interested in some of the other topics and so I feel like for them it probably would have been helpful to be a little bit more aware ahead of time of how those schools difference differentiate. even though they're both in London and it's about going to London it's still you know helpful to know what the school experience is going to be mm-hmm. yeah You described
2: how you chose Bocconi for its very amazing business school and the big city atmosphere. So, did you have um, multiple options, or were your options based more on your concentration?
1: That's a great question. So, first, there were there was limited options based on being in business school. So, there were, I think, maybe six or seven programs that Penn or Wharton specifically did an exchange with, and I think a lot of that goes back to like. You know we have very specific requirements that we need you to take uh, to get this degree in economics and so what schools have close enough um courses that we will accept credit for you know things that we would have had you take here so for example the management of fashion companies probably counted as like a management
0: mm-hmm. um
1: credit right so it, it was close enough So I remember there was like a program in France and a program in Australia and probably one in London. Mm -hmm. Um, Any of the ones that were English speaking sort of had less requirements because you didn't have to take Mm -hmm. a language course. If I had gone to Australia, like I wouldn't have had to take that extra language course. Um, And then I'm trying to think if there are any other like nuances. I mean, I'll I'll share outside of just the business school programs. I know that there are also study abroad that do homestays, right? So when you go, you're staying in someone's home, you're staying with the family. And I I think that's something that's unique that some people might really want. I had a friend who did that in Spain and I went to stay with her and I was like, this is amazing, this is very different than me in my dorm or friends that might be, you know, grad students that have an apartment, like being with the family, eating meals with them, speaking with them, like can really help with developing like your language skills and getting a better sense of the culture. Um, Mm -hmm. So I feel like if that had been an option for me in Italy, I would have chosen that instead of being in the dorm, because I think it would have helped me get the language more um, and just be deeper in the culture. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the main reason I picked Milan is just I I had a romanticized view of Italy and I was not (laughs) disappointed, like the food was amazing, the people were great, getting to see the country and just you know, it's again, it's very different than even just going for a long trip. Like if you can be somewhere for four or five months and hit that point where you really feel like, okay, like there's my coffee shop and these people know me and this is where I go for this. And, you know, this is where we go on the weekends, you know, it gives you just such a different sense of of the city. And I think that makes it really unique. So for me, I just, I had this view of Italy and I wanted to experience it. And so I was willing to take the language class and, and wanted to do that program.
2: Yeah, so obviously the study abroad program, like you mentioned, it's, it's a pretty long thing. You have to prepare for it and then you're staying in another country for a couple of months. So when is typically the best time for students to study abroad and for how
1: long? Mm. Ooh, That's a great question. I was a little unique. So I ended up studying abroad my senior year actually. Okay. Um, And I went the fall of my senior year. So when I came back, I only had one semester. Um, And I think for a lot of people, like waiting for a senior year feels too late because you might be thinking about jobs and recruiting, like most of the Mm -hmm. finance and consulting recruiting happened in the fall. So I kind of had to be like, I know that I don't wanna do either one of those things, so I'm fine (laughs) missing it, right? Or maybe I'm gonna like, some people might've been doing it from abroad or really focused on trying to find jobs while they were abroad, if they wanted to get a job and work abroad. So that could be something you chose strategically. If I wanna live in the city, I'm gonna go study abroad sort of towards the end so that I can be, I have more experience, I can be recruiting, I can be trying to find opportunities. I also was in sorority um, in undergrad. And so I pledged my sophomore year and just had a lot of stuff going on junior year. By the time I got to senior year, I was like, I'm kind of done with this. It's draining me. I want to get away. I want to have some time on my own. And so I kind of saw it as like a really welcome break um, from all the responsibilities that I had at UPenn. And so for Mm -hmm. me, I think I went abroad that, that first semester, came back to my last senior spring, I was really just like, I don't care, I've been in Italy, I'm ready <laughs> to just party and have fun, and, you know, found a job within that semester, and, you know, oh, wow. made everything work that I was looking to do, but, you know, I think if, if it had if stressed me out, I'm not, I'm not the type of person that gets too stressed out about, like, uncertainty or, or things that, you know, are up in the air, but I think you know, I had a lot of friends that would have, if they would have been too stressed out trying to go um, their senior year and also trying to manage all the things that they had on their plate. So I think most people tend to go sophomore year, junior year, kind of in the Mm -hmm. middle where you know enough and you're settled and you have your friends. And so you're not worried about that, but um, you also have plenty of time when you get back to kind of like wrap up. So I think if I hadn't done the sorority when I did it undergrad, I probably would have tried to go my sophomore or junior year right in the middle. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, I'm sure Michelle and I will definitely consider that uh, when we apply to study abroad. But uh, based off your experience, how do you think um, study abroad programs can enrich students beyond
1: cultural and academic? Mm, beyond cultural and academic, I think. know one of the things that was really helpful for me so I went to UPenn predominantly white institution I'm a black woman I came into my four years you know going to predominantly white high school and being like I really want to you know find my community find other black people get involved in the black student group I was living in uh, the black dorm which is called Du Bois and so I think the first couple years at UPenn I, you know, really built this strong community. The sorority I joined is is a historically black sorority. um, And it was a Philadelphia city chapter. So I also started to kind of meet people all around the city of Philly. But I think that when I was like, when I would walk around Penn's campus sometimes, I started to feel like I only knew the black students. And, you know, we were only 11% of the entire school population and i just felt like i was missing out right i felt like you know why should i only feel like i have like this little portion of this school i want to like unlock the rest i want to know more people i want to be involved in activities and things that aren't just sort of culturally focused around the other black students even though those are great spaces and it's important that i had those spaces i think i was interested in branching out more mm-hmm. so going abroad was actually something that allowed me to do that right none of my I was the only black person in the program none of my girlfriends or sorority sisters or anyone went abroad at least not to Italy or to you know anywhere I was and so it really forced me to kind of like make new friends again and I ended up getting really close with someone who's a year younger than me she was like in a white sorority she had a totally different she was also in Wharton she had a totally different social network And so it was actually that final senior year coming back after abroad and having those new connections. And they were really strong connections because we hung out the whole time, we traveled together, we did everything together. Um, And so it actually really allowed me to meet people that I probably wouldn't have met just being at Penn and then bring those relationships back. And I think just confidence, right? Like going to a new country, being nervous, which you will be, <laughs> like even if you know the language, even if you've taken a semester, it's still different to like talk to people and order things. And like I think it's a real test of of confidence. Um, I compared to like traveling by yourself, where you're nervous, but like the fact that you did it afterwards, you're like, oh my God, I did that. Like I can do anything. Um, so I think going abroad and dealing with the discomfort, dealing with the new stuff, dealing with how to I mean, in Italy, we had to do this whole, Italy's known for having like really crazy bureaucracy and red tape and just ridiculous stuff. And so we had to Mm -hmm. get, while we were there, we had to go to the Italian consulate and get a picture. Oh, wow. It was ridiculous, right? The the fact that they expected all these students to get it, I actually think I ended up not getting it. And it was like, (laughs) you could take the risk, but like if you got in trouble and got arrested or something and you didn't have it, you would be screwed. Luckily, I didn't get arrested. Um, But yeah, just learning how to (laughs) navigate that stuff in a new country, or, it, it builds confidence. And I think it builds, um, you know, capabilities to just navigate different systems and work with different people. Um, I always tell people the, the way that the classes worked at that university, Bocconi, and this is just like indicative of like Italian um, approaches to time, which I, I personally love. Um, because I'm definitely, as you guys witness, I'm not a on time. Sometimes, <laughs> I'm definitely late. Sometimes things are happening, and so I like to give other people grace in the hopes that they give me grace as well, and so it, Italians definitely have a, like, you know, live your life, lean into the moment, you know, sit outside of the cafe for four hours just talking, because why not? What else is there to do? And so with the school, you know, we would have set times for class, but any given morning, the professor might email and say like, actually, I'm going to move class to one o'clock today. And that was just like totally normal. So you kind of had to like be checking in the morning. Every day could be different. It could adjust a little bit. You really couldn't, you know, depend on the same schedule every day. And so mm-hmm. I that it, it drove everyone crazy, especially Americans. <laughs> oh, my God, I don't understand. Like it's supposed to be at 12, but I thought it was a great, you know, it was a great challenge to adapt to a new culture and you know, it definitely gave me a, a better sense of what it's like to be an academic in Italy. Um, and so it was it was a nice, unique experience.
0: Yeah, Um. a question I had, Kelly, was, how did you uh, convince your parents if they were hesitant? Like, especially since you were unfamiliar with the language and like, there's always that safety factor as well. So I, just, I was just wondering, I think a lot of students have that question as well.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. You know, don't remember my parents being particularly concerned. I think one thing that was helpful is that I was saying, you know, from the moment I started college like I want to study abroad. So kind of like setting that expectation, maybe hearing if there are any concerns early on so that as you're like going to the info sessions and getting information on study abroad, you can be asking those questions. But I do know with security, there is I can't remember the name of this company. There's essentially like a international insurance, travel insurance that you will get through, like your school will kind of, or from what I remember, the school facilitated us getting that will, one, it's like a a database of like, we know that these students are in this country. Mm -hmm. um, And if you travel somewhere else, you can create a plan. So it's kind of like a safety mechanism so that someone like (laughs) knows where you are at all times. And I think that the schools are even liable in some ways to kind of make sure that that's set up. Um, and then, you know, I think it also really depends on what country you're going to. I think, I remember I have an older sister. She's three years older than me. And she mm-hmm. studied abroad as well. She ended up going to Spain, to northern Spain, mm-hmm. Um And, you know, that was a mixed experience, but she had also really been thinking about traveling to Thailand. Um, And this was probably a little bit before Thailand became the tourist destination that it is today. And really got the feedback, like, "Mm, as a Black woman, it might be kind of hard, like it might be kind of dangerous. I think both as a woman, as a Black person was sort of like kind of warned against that. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, identity is important to understand like who you are in context to where you are. Um, so I think really asking, asking the questions from your school and administration and trying to find people who might have done those programs before, which is exactly what you guys are doing, you know, connecting people um, who are experienced, to people who are looking, you know, to, to try out new things. So I think, yeah, I think knowing where you're going, understanding the dynamics, of how you as a person will be perceived in that place and kind of being prepared. So if there is maybe a heightened, you know, feeling of insecurity based on going somewhere, I don't think that that means don't go. It just means go into it sort of ready or prepared with the right group and the right people so that you feel like, you know, you, you, are gonna be protected and sort of feel comfortable. I think in retrospect, my sister probably wishes that she had done Thailand instead of Spain, right? And not let people kind of scare her away from that. I think she was probably more than capable of navigating (laughs) that, but it can be scary, right? And when you have people that are kind of warning you against stuff or saying, just so you know, sometimes that can be enough. So finding people, I mean, with the internet now, and resources like what you guys are doing, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of talk to someone who's done it before, um, you know. And in terms of parents, I would say, I think starting, especially undergrad, moving into college and that independence can be a lot in general. Um, so the the earlier you can set the expectation of like this is something that I want to be a part of my college experience, um, the more time you kind of have to negotiate. The, the where and the specifics that everyone can be comfortable with um, and also the cost, right? Some places are really expensive. Just the, the cost of living um, doesn't quite translate. A lot of times the tuition will will just be you know, covered. Your school will just take your tuition money and pay for tuition there, even though sometimes it's a lot cheaper in other countries in the US. So you really are kind of paying a premium to go to schools that would have been cheaper had you enrolled directly. So something to think about. Um, but you know, a lot of times your school will facilitate the tuition, but the the room and board might be something that, you know, if you can't if you're not gonna be in a dorm there or you might have to do something else with housing, it can either be a lot cheaper and save you some money or it can be really expensive and you need to account for that depending on the city that you're gonna be in, or if there are security risks sometimes you can pay more money to like live in a different <laughs> area or ha- you know or have certain things that make you feel better so there could be a money component to that as well in terms of what is going to make you feel safe um, and then i think also nowadays like back then it was a lot more challenging to like get the cell phone plan and figure out communication and all of that in a, in a different country and i think that's easier and easier so being able to be easily reached Um, and communicate with friends and family back home, I think can also be a helpful way of kind of minimizing any fear and concern because you're so far away.
2: Yeah, I think those are definitely some really important considerations besides just, you know, where do I want to go and what do these schools have to offer? But we also have to consider a lot of the logistics because that's how we're going to get there or how we're going to live there or even just survive there. Mm So. Um, you've had two of these study abroad experiences one in your undergraduate during your undergraduate time and then the other one as an exchange student so we were wondering is there a difference between studying abroad and being an exchange student
1: oh um I'm trying to think if that's how I would I don't know if I would make them as a if I would make a distinction between undergrad and graduate as one was studying abroad and one was being exchange student. I think both of them I see as mm-hmm. being an exchange student. The difference is one, okay. you know, was being an exchange student in the undergrad world and the other one was being an exchange student in the graduate student world. And just like being an undergrad student is so different than being a graduate student. Those two study abroad experiences were totally different mm-hmm. to the point where when I was in, when I was, abroad at London School of Economics. This was two years, two years ago, 2019. As a graduate student, it was so interesting to observe the undergraduate students that were there. And it was like, it was like, you know, deja vu, thinking back to what it was like when I was an undergrad student and all the different parties that were organized. And um, Erasmus is like an organization that does a lot with studying abroad students, right? So I remember I had a little interactive card and like it would get you into the club for free. You get a oh, little, <laughs> like, it was like this whole program, right? So it's funny to watch now me, you know, as a graduate student to see the younger students that were there on exchange kind of doing those things that I used to do or that I remember doing. Um, so yeah, I think my undergrad experience felt a lot more social. I wanted to, I wanted to get to know all the other exchange students um, the school in Italy organized a trip for us all to go to Oktoberfest in Germany. So, like, we all took a bus together from Bocconi to Oktoberfest, like overnight bus. Oh, and got there, drank all day, then overnight bus back. It was it was wild, but it was a good <laughs> time. Um, so like doing stuff like that with the larger group and, um, you know, going out and partying and like knowing knowing a lot of the other students that were in exchange exchanging from other schools. To me, that was much more representative of my undergrad experience, and really being, you know, I was in the dorms. I had an Italian roommate. We were doing our laundry with other students, and they had like shared communal kitchens um, in those dorms. So we would meet other students who were cooking, and you know, it was really, it was much more community oriented the way that I remember undergrad being, where you're just like there, you're on campus, you're in the mix, compared to I think as a grad student um different but honestly I'm not gonna say more enjoyable I'm like at a different stage in my life so it was <laughs> for now but it I mean the way I described it people it was like going back to like how how great it is to be in a city to have you know a structure things to do so I had my classes I actually only had classes three days a week so I had no class Thursday Friday I would take the bus. So I got an apartment. I found a roommate online. Like I had to do all that myself, right? Very different <laughs> than I was in college. This is like, okay, I've done it before. I found a roommate before. Let me find my own housing. Um, you know, had a great roommate, lived in a great neighborhood, took the bus to school and had some friends already that were living in London. So I would meet up with them and hang out. And it was like, I kind of just had my own life. (laughs) Like I had a gym that I went to and people that I would meet up with. And then I would go to school for a couple of days, you know, had my friends from Yale who were also in the program that I would see at school. I honestly didn't even spend that much time with them. I really focused a lot on trying to like meet people and kind of create my own community. Went to a yoga studio, was really just kind of trying to establish a life and, and have a balance to the studying and the writing and stuff I was doing with school. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, I I did meet people that were in my classes mostly. It was just people who I saw because they were in my classes, but I, I never went to, you know, a study abroad student mixer. Like I wasn't really interested in that at that point. I was like, I just want to be in London. You know, I've been here before. I want to like go to concerts. I want to go to museums and see different people and like, The fact that I'm in school here isn't the main thing. It's the fact I'm in London and I'm just like taking these classes so I can be here. Um, So it was just, it was different, but I think both of them were really nice and really fit kind of what I needed at that time in my life.
2: So you went to LSC in 2019, which happened to be your junior year at Yale. Um, how would you manage your school's workload? Were they more lenient or did you have different requirements if you were enrolled in another institution?
1: Yeah, great question. So um, my program at Yale was a two-year program. So mm-hmm. technically kind of junior, yeah, junior year, um, the first semester of the second year. Okay. And... So it's interesting, uh, the way that Yale does their program is that there's a ton of required courses the first year, and then your second year, you kind of have the freedom to take whatever you want, so this, my my study abroad fell into sort of the time frame where you could be taking whatever courses you want in terms mm-hmm. of topics, but you still had certain a, no, a certain number of courses that needed to be taken to get enough credits to graduate, mm-hmm. and because, I trying to think of why I did this, you know, I had interned over the summer, I was working at a company called IDEO, um, which had been like a dream of mine, so I was, you know, really trying to make a good impression, and putting a lot of hours in, and because I was studying abroad my, the next semester, um, the timing for, the other thing to think about was studying abroad is timing, right, a lot of times these schools are on a little bit of a different schedule, and it can kind of mess with Um, you know, either when you come back to the semester next year, or when you leave to go, they're usually pretty good about accommodating. But um, a lot of times, it's just a little off. So I had extra time, like the semester in London didn't start until like, late September compared to August here. So I ended up working for even longer. So I had about a four month internship. It was stressful, to say the least, right? It was it was emotional because it was like a dream job that kind of ended up being not as great as I thought and so I think coming off of working like that into the next semester I was tired and I was like um, (laughs) it'd be really nice to just kind of like enjoy London and not be stressed and just you know have the time to explore the city and get to know people and so I actually we were allowed to petition to take want like a little less credits than technically we were supposed to right I think we were supposed to be taking I had let's see I had gender studies history of business consumer psych okay yeah so I was taking three courses we were supposed to be taking four and I petitioned to say can I take one less because I fully like am prepared to take you know to make that credit up when i get back and i think they were particularly understand with lse because a lot of the students were disappointed with what the course options were not only because it you know didn't have as many business school classes and it had gender studies and all these other things that were a little different but also because of the the way that they did the semesters in london they had like a christmas semester and a spring semester and the christmas semester always had like a lot less courses right so there was just like not as much to work with and so Yale was really flexible. They were like, sure, you can take one less class there and take one more class when you came back. So I was taking like actually a lighter load. The lightest load of my entire <laughs> grad school experience was when I was in London. So I only had three classes um, and it was it was really nice. It was really nice.
0: Yeah. And what we found really interesting was that you did this as you were studying for your MBA at Yale, which is just really amazing. So could you briefly describe the application process for an MBA program, like specifically
1: you? Sure. Um, so usually you have to take the GRE. Um, mm-hmm. And those scores will last up to five years. So you could take it early and then apply later. I ended up taking it like the same year that I was applying, which is kind of a lot, right? So study. I yeah. found a class at the community college, which was helpful. Um, And then, you know, applications are usually, you know, think undergrad applications, a lot of information, FAFSA, essay, gathering your transcripts, gathering recommendations from managers or people that you've worked with. Which that part can really be the hardest, right? If you don't already have the people and the relationships, that's a hard thing to like figure out last minute. Um, and then I also applied to a program called the Consortium, which is specifically for people of color in business school. And so that kind of acted similar to like a common app where they have some partner schools. So Yale is a partner school, um, UCLA, UVA, Where are some of the other schools that I like apply to through consortium? Um, Dartmouth, Texas, a couple of different schools. Um, so when you apply through consortium you can kind of do the application once and like click which schools you want and it kind of you know minimizes some of the repeat work which is nice and also kind of automatically enrolls you in um, applying for a scholarship that consortium offers to some students and so that was the application process Uh, but I'll say you know I again similar to undergrad I knew because I love studying abroad so much when I was in undergrad, I knew that like, okay, if I'm going back to grad school, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity to like be in another country and not, I mean, you know, right now, I think the the most likely way that you can get to another country and have this experience outside of doing a study abroad is to get a job there. But working is is a very different life than being in school. And being in school just offers so much more extra room and space to like explore and you know, invest in yourself and be less stressed and whatever. So I knew that I wanted to study abroad while in business school. Um, and so I looked at programs specifically, like one of the things that drew me to Yale was that they had, you know, a lot of really, and part of it I think is because of the brand name of Yale, they had a lot of really strong connections with schools internationally. So they had Ooh. a great study abroad program. So like Yale has a really strong partnership with a school in Singapore That kind of is like does like a remote program connected to Yale. And so a lot of students go to Singapore to do a study abroad because it's very sort of like pre set up and very easy because Mm -hmm. we have that relationship with that school. So that was something that actually drew me to apply to Yale in the first place was like, okay, I know that they have study abroad programs. I know they have London. I know other students have done it um and so when I got to Yale I talked to a couple students who had done the LSE program before just to get a sense of how it was for them um so I kind of had both of those things in my mind at the same time um and so that that's kind of one of the big reasons why I wanted to apply to Yale and and chose to go there
2: yeah that process definitely sounds like college apps 2.0 Um, But we kind of wanted to get to know that process a little bit better. We know that that there's the GRE and GMAT. So could you kind of describe some of the tips for taking those tests and also how they kind of fit into the overall
1: process of getting your MBA? Sure, absolutely. So the GMAT is like MBA only, right? That is a test that is specifically for applying to MBA programs. So if you know, I want to get an MBA, most people take the GMAT. Um, And generally that's, that's probably the advice that I would give, even though I've never taken it. Mm -hmm. I chose the GRE because Mm -hmm. not only was I applying to MBA Mm -hmm. programs, but I was always also looking at MFA programs. So masters in fine arts, Mm -hmm. going back to that creativity. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, I had this goal of, of working at that company IDEO, which does their human design consulting firm. So they really do a lot of like innovation and strategy work around this idea of like human centered design, what do people want, doing a lot of research um, and going out and kind of gathering feedback. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I mean, they hire designers, they hire industrial designers, they hire anthropologists, they hire writers and they hire business people. And so I had the goal of working there and I was like, I can go to business school and try to go that route or I could go to design school and try to go that route. And so I was really exploring both of those really heavily so it, it came down to either Yale or the School of Art, in, the School of Art Institute in Chicago, which had a designed objects program, which is pretty similar to industrial design, but I think a little bit more crafty. Um, and so they both like giving me the same amount of money, like it was really mm-hmm. like an apples to apples choice. And I, I ended up choosing an MBA because I felt like it was a better investment in terms of support for jobs and options after, like, I think after talking to a lot of people, it felt like the most likely path for me leaving an MFA would be like starting my own business and starting my own company and I just I didn't know if I was ready for that and then I was like well if I don't feel ready for that then business school feels like a really great choice. Um, Yale also has a great fine arts program so because they had this like openness taking whatever you want I took a printmaking class when I was there so I was able to get back into printmaking and really Mm -hmm. tried to pull in um, as much creative class as I could, but it, you know, it wasn't doing a two-year studio arts program by any means, right, I did not get that experience, mm-hmm. but, you know, I ended up choosing something that felt like a little bit more of a practical choice, mm-hmm. um, so because I knew I was interested in both of those programs, like, the MFA programs wanted the GRE score, so a GMAT would not work for them, so by taking the GRE, I could use that for both, um, and I do highly suggest, like, taking a class. Um, I was able to find a really well-priced community college course. And I think having an actual instructor kind of like walk through the math again, the math in particular was really helpful. Having the the dedicated time, I think it was like once every week or maybe twice every other week, something like that. I went with a friend of mine who was also applying to grad school at the time, which was really nice because we would meet up and study together. Um, It just kind of put a nice structure. And then it's like, as soon as the class was over, schedule the test so there's not too much time in between um, so I would definitely suggest that to people who are going through the process to think about trying to get into a class um, and yeah I mean I think the other thing that I hear about the area, we I took it twice and I will say just it, sometimes that feels worth it just because the first time you take it you're kind of getting used to like the, the interface and, the, and there's the timing aspect of it so it's not just you know, knowing the answers, but doing it in enough time. And so I felt like the first time I kind of struggled to get some of the math sections done in time. And so the second time I took it, I was like a lot more ready and focused and I had had my breakfast. And so I think I got a much higher score, not necessarily because of studying more, but just it was a performance thing. And so sometimes it's about how well you prep and how well you slept and what you ate for breakfast. Or sometimes it's just seeing it the second time you're a little bit more familiar and you can like you're not as nervous and you can kind of get through it more quickly so I do think it's usually worth it to at least take it twice if you didn't get like an amazing score the first time and you're like okay good I'm done um because I I was like oh my score's pretty good is it really worth it but it it went up significantly just doing it again after some some um, familiarity um and then my my the program at I think because these tests usually have like a math versus a reading, and if you're applying to a program like any engineering or business, you know, that has a pretty strong math component, they tend to like judge the scores, not just like, you know, what's the cutoff for, are people gonna get in or not? But like, how are these people gonna do in this program? So for people who I think had lower GRE or GMAT scores, Yale offered like a math camp. That was for the first couple of weeks before classes started where people could kind of brush up on some of the math stuff that was in, you know, that's on the GRE and the GMAT and feel like they had a solid foundation before we started. And, you know, we were doing like statistics and some pretty heavy, like accounting, some pretty heavy math stuff in the beginning. So they did Mm -hmm. offer kind of like some extra support, which was based off of those GRE scores, kind of like who they felt like needed. So it's, even if it's not All these schools will give kind of like, here's what most people we accept get, right? Like ranges that people like, okay, let me get in the range, but just know that like, you know, if if with the right fit and the right experience and maybe you have all this other stuff, but your one score is a little lower, schools are more than willing to like create whole programs that will support students that they still really want and they still think are gonna be successful even if they might not be in that range for certain test scores.
2: That's actually really cool. I didn't hear about that, but definitely the prep part sounds a lot like uh, ACT or SAT prep and, you know, just getting into the groove of working on test taking. But really quickly jumping into your career, you've worked as a creative business strategist and business designer. Could you describe these jobs and what types of students would fit well doing this since high schoolers are probably starting to think about their career already?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. How would I describe being a creative business strategist, business designer? Um, I think that doing that work a lot of times is rooted in ideas. Um, so thinking about trying to think really innovatively, trying to understand like what's happening in the market, what are trends, what are you seeing, and apply that to any business. Um, So, for example, like everything that's happened in the pandemic over the last two years, right, has brought up all these opportunities of like, what are companies going to do about work culture virtually and how do we think about that, right, like being in these spaces where people are trying to figure out things that haven't been figured out before, people are trying to think about new things, think outside the box brainstorm, you know, use your personal lived experience to bring to a conversation. So this is where I think having a unique, diverse background or a unique perspective to bring can often be really helpful when people are trying to like strategize and figure out how to do something different or do something better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's where the creativity comes in really, like how, how, um, you know, how generative can you be in trying to, like I've had, in, I've had a lot of interviews in working in this space where, you know, they'll ask you a question where it's kind of like, think can you think of a couple new ideas or think of something, you know, it's like how, if you're someone who can can really, you know, think on the spot or likes to brainstorm or likes to come up with new things and maybe doesn't get nervous or can be comfortable speaking and pitching things, I think, those tend to be skill sets that can be really helpful in working in strategy and business and doing a lot of presentations or explaining your ideas, getting people to kind of understand what you what you're saying. Um, that's a skill set that I think has been really helpful. And then I think in the more on the more quantitative side, a lot of the business strategy work that I have done has tend to fall into like the biz, what I would call business modeling. So like how do you create a high-level model, so we're talking Excel, um, of how a business is going to run, and how much money it's going to cost, and over the next 10 years, what are we spending on this, and what are we making on this, and how are we calculating what we're going to make, right, so what are we charging for this, how many people are going to sell it, or how many people are going to buy it, and what is, that's based off of, we're going to spend this much on marketing, and we think 10% of the people who see it are actually going to buy it, right, so a lot of assumptions, a lot of sort of putting what we think could happen and then trying to figure out if, if that happened, how much money will we have? If that didn't happen, how much money will we lose? So a lot of like forecasting and trying to plan out um, these ideas that we're thinking about, trying to put that to paper and put numbers around that so that people can feel comfortable, you know, spending that first $100,000 to see if we can, you know, make some of it back or have these results that we're looking for. Um, and, and again, that work has really been, it's been in apparel at Target, trying to design boys' uniforms and get them in store. <laughs> it's been at utilities, right? Trying to build a mobile app where people can see how much energy they're using in their home or trying to get a community solar program up and running and figuring out like, okay, what are the different regulatory things that we have to file? And you know, what are the different policy? Um, requirements of having this type of community solar. Where can we have it? What do people need to pay? How long do we need to maintain it? So um, you know, really all of the logistics around trying to get an idea, something from an idea to the real world, whether that's the idea of a t-shirt to now the t-shirts in the store or the idea of an electric bus to okay, now we're prototyping one in this county, really just trying to, and that's hard, right? One person can't do that. So you're, a lot of times you're coordinating a lot of different people. You're leading a team where you have certain people that are kind of in charge of their own parts of it. You got to trust them to go do their own stuff and then bring people together and be like, okay, how are we doing? Project manage, move them along. Um, so it can be a lot, but I think uh, people who tend to be like well-suited are people who like ideas, they like doing new things, they can kind of put up with a lot of ambiguity when you're doing something that's never been done before. So you can't look to someone and be like, okay, well, well what did y'all do? Like, just tell me and I'll do those same things. So a lot of times you have to be willing to like, you know, be the first person to do it and figure it out as you go, um, which, you know, for some people is, is, is not <laughs> ideal, uh, but for others, they really like that freedom in that space. Um, and I, I think I found that it's it's been, um a skill set that has been able to adapt to a lot of different places right so like i never thought product development at target would actually be a skill set that i could build on to then do product development and an energy company right it's two very different products but kind of a similar process and so i felt pretty confident going into a very different industry because i had done similar enough work before
0: some great perspective for like students looking into career choices. Um, and so Kelly, before we finish up, we wanted to ask you, what are some final words of advice you have for our audience out there um, as they find and per- pursue their passions?
1: Oh, um, you know, I think that, as I said, when, when I was in the stage where it felt like I needed to decide what I wanted to do, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, you know, my strategy was kind of to delay, to pick something that allowed me enough options so that once I knew what I wanted to do, I could have the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes the pressure to pick it now and have that certainty um, can be a lot. But lived experience has been the thing in for me, that has allowed me to, like, have confidence in, in, I mean, literally me starting Collective Power and deciding I want to be in infrastructure and development and homes and housing and all of the, you know, built things that we need to live our daily life, like, that's new. Like, I just decided, I just figured out that mm-hmm. that is the work that I want to do for the rest of my life. And, like, that's really big. And I don't think I would ever figure that out without, you know, going to grad school and having these different jobs and figuring this out. having this experience so you know i think my advice for younger people would be don't feel pressured to just pick something because people are asking you and you know you, you have to choose all these other steps based off of this goal so there's a lot of pressure to just choose it right you know there are ways to kind of like keep keep your options open based on what you're choosing or you know if you are if you are you know confident that there's something that you want to do right like how quickly can you get an internship in that space and really get into the environment and experience it and see like do i really like this or maybe i want to go a different way right like just the value of lived experience and i think nowadays through internships through being able to connect with people you know even just doing a project you might not have to do a whole summer internship but you reach out to someone you're like hey I think I want to work in this space like what can I do what can I work with you on for free most people will say (laughs) sure right and that is so valuable to you as as something that can either affirm yes I want to do this or be like actually this is not it and so now I know and I kind of like make a different decision or move in a different way um so you know thinking thinking really deeply about um the goals that you set now and and the choices that you make to move in that direction Um, because you know a lot of a lot of careers are designed in a way think about doctors i think about lawyers i even think about mba students right where you you invest so much in your education and once you get to the end of that you're sort of either in debt or in a place career-wise where you need to work to to, to get on the other side of that right so you kind of get trapped in you get locked in in different ways and so you know I wish I would have known then sort of the importance of I mean I get I think in some ways maybe I did know with my reluctance to choose something but yeah I think talking to younger people now my advice would definitely be to try to get lived experience and what you think you want to do to really validate that Mm
0: -hmm. and then to
1: also to challenge challenge the existing norms of like what are respected or high paid positions now because the world is changing very quickly and I think the Mm -hmm. things that have always been high paid jobs are not going to continue to be high paid jobs and I think that there are a lot of skills and needs that, you know, I think about teachers, I think about healthcare workers, I think about people who build, you know, right now there's a huge shortage of people to build homes and electricians and people that have these skills that are really important, that maybe we haven't always lifted up in society. But if we don't have people doing that, then a lot of very necessary things don't get done. And so I think this is a time to start thinking differently about careers and what careers are seen as you know admirable and which ones aren't and to really start from a place of like identity, like what do I love to do? Um, whether or not it's a job that's high paid or not, like just being aware of like what are my passions, what makes me happy? you know, what do I thrive doing? What am I good at? What could I have a happy life doing for 20, 30 years? Um, really trying to ask those questions now instead of like what makes the most money or what what is respected yeah. what do people think are like the cool careers because I'll tell you a lot of people who are working on Wall Street or working in corporate law or doing those things that have traditionally been like those highly coveted positions like they're they're pretty miserable and then there's a reason why those jobs pay a lot of money so I think it's easy when you're younger to like see the shininess of it and you're still trying to get there so you might not be questioning if it's even a place that you want to be but question it like really really try to understand the goods and the bad of, of lots of different jobs and skill sets and start asking the personal questions of like what do i actually want to do like let me stop not thinking about money not thinking about like we can think about that later but mm-hmm. how do i get to know myself and get to know like where i think um i would be happy Because I think the earlier you start to ask those questions, the better. I know a lot of 32 to 35-year-olds that are just now asking themselves, like, what do I really want to do, right? And they feel like they have to start all over again because maybe they chose something that wasn't quite in line with what they wanted but felt like it was, like, the smart and responsible thing to do. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone has their own journey. But I think if I was talking to younger people, I would encourage them to ask those questions now and to use the time... You know in high school getting into college and all those years to like experiment and really put their own like health and well-being in the forefront not not money and not what other people want but like how do I think that I could live a life where I have the things that I need and I also am happy and I'm doing something that you know feels important. Mm
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kelly. We learned a lot from your experience studying abroad, getting your MBA, doing what you enjoy, um, really challenging yourself to figure out your passion and working towards goals in your career. For our listeners out there, make sure to follow us on Instagram at alumni answers and connect with us on LinkedIn to get updates on new interviews, content, and special events. Comment on this interview on our socials to tell us something new you learned today, and check out our website, alumnianswers.org, for more podcast and article interviews. Also, you definitely know some family and friends who are not in the know on college apps and career, so be sure to tell them that we're getting them the advice they need, all from the experts. That's a wrap for today. Hope you all join us for our next podcast interview.